Is BRICS the counter to G7 or is it just a contradiction in terms? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. This is episode 67 and we're going to tell you all about the Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa grouping that met this week at a virtual summit hosted by Beijing. Now, the questions really keep coming in about BRICS, even so many years after it began. The question that is BRICS a grouping of once emerging economies from Asia, Africa, South America, Eurasia, in fact, an effective antithesis to the developed world's most industrialized nations led by US and Europe at what is called the G7. More importantly, how does India navigate its role in the grouping given the BRICS clear criticism of the West's economic domination of the world and India's own position with several Western countries, particularly the United States, then the current standoff between Russia and the West, and then India's problems with China. How do they all square up for the BRICS? And to really understand how that works within this organization, it is necessary to go back to where the origins of the grouping were. To begin with, unlike other regional, economic, political groupings, the BRICS idea actually did not come from any of its own members. It came from a paper by a Goldman Sachs economist in 2001. He suggested, his name was Jim O'Neill, he suggested that instead of setting up the world's then emerging economies as a separate group, that they actually be brought into what would then be an expanded version of the G7. In fact, in those days, Russia had just been taken into the G7 to make it the G8, which is why they were open to these ideas. But Russia was still very much an outlier. The paper later then made the case that by 2039, the four economies, Russia, India, China, and Brazil, would actually upend the global economic order and even overtake the G7. This was made over a course of several years of predictions. Then in 2006, leaders met on the sidelines of, the, uh, of a summit. And then in 2009, we saw the leaders of the four countries, Brazil, Russia, India, and China, meeting and forming the first brick, if you like. They added South Africa in 2010. And once it was ratified, it became BRICS formally. Russia's ties with the West, remember, had begun to unravel after the war with Georgia in 2008. And Russia was finally, in fact, ousted from the G7 by 2014. So the G7 became the G8 for about a decade and back to being called the G7. Since then, BRICS have met every year, set up several initiatives. We'll tell you a bit about them and really defied all predictions that the grouping would crumble given the downturn in the economies of all the members with the possible exception of China. In fact, BRICS may be disparate countries on four continents, but they together do represent 27 or 29% of the world's landmass, about 41% of the world's population, 24% of global GDP, 16% of global trade. So still quite uh, little compared to the predictions. And it produces 33% of the world's food, if you take the BRICS combine. Let's tell you about the significance of the BRICS summit that was held on June 23rd, 24th this year. The summit was, in fact, the first such meeting of a grouping like this, including Russian President Vladimir Putin since the invasion of Ukraine, of course, on February 24th. So it gave the message really that Russia is not isolated economically or otherwise, as the US might actually like to project. For India, it indicates that it will continue to walk an independent balance in the world. Remember, BRICS leaders 
met one month after the Quad Summit in Tokyo, where Prime Minister Modi went to Tokyo, met with Mr. Biden, met with the Japanese Prime Minister Kishida, met with the Australian new Prime Minister Albanese. And the, this BRIC summit actually comes days before the G7 summit in Germany at an Alpine resort, where both India and South Africa have actually been invited as well to attend a few of the sessions. Brazil, in fact, attended a summit of the Americas in the US this month, where President Bolsonaro also met with US President Biden. So each of the BRICS members, or many of the BRICS members, are also running the kind of balance that India is. Now, another significance of this BRICS summit at this time is that India and China have been willing to attend these summits despite the standoff between their armies at the border since 2020. And right now we're seeing a kind of impasse in talks between them. This indicates that the Modi government is really willing to put its differences with China, the PLA's transgressions, aside for BRICS, and it gives it an added significance, if you like. BRICS countries have continued to meet during the COVID pandemic, of course, virtually. This summit, hosted by China, reiterated their willingness for all BRICS countries to work with China on COVID research. We'll tell you a bit about that, vaccines, other things. A contrast to more critical views of China at other Western-led groupings. So what were the specific key takeaways from the summit? And there is a, a declaration called the Beijing Declaration already out. The first we saw in the speeches given strong criticism of the US and Europe over sanctions against Russia that came from President Putin as well as from Chinese President Xi Jinping. The BRICS declaration itself was a little more muted, but it backed Russia-Ukraine talks, didn't criticize Russia in any way. It called for the UN to strengthen efforts to man manage the humanitarian situation in and around Ukraine. Then it seems they had built a kind of common position on Afghanistan. They called in their joint declaration for inclusive and representative government there, ensuring that uh, Afghan soil isn't used for attacks against other countries or to provide any shelter to terrorist groups. In fact, what was really interesting is, of course, Russia and China already have embassies open in Kabul, but on the same day as the BRICS summit was inaugurated, India reopened its embassy in Kabul, and this is a subject we've been studying on Worldview for some time. Then Prime Minister Modi focused in his speech on the common agenda that the BRICS share on economic governance. This is a very key pillar. He talked about the importance of multilateral systems and other BRICS initiatives, which he called very practical initiatives, one of the reasons for the BRICS successes. We'll tell you a bit more about that. Brazilian President Bolsonaro made a push for UN reform to become a BRICS initiative, uh, significant since China and Russia, of course, are UN Security Council permanent members and often are seen as dragging their feet when it comes to UNSC reform. Then South African President Ramaphosa called for more equitable access to vaccines. This is an old theme for South Africa. In particular, he urged that developed economies, international agencies and philanthropists should now procure vaccines from manufacturers in developing economies, including in Africa, not source them from one part of the West and then pay for them there and then uh, send them to Africa. Then the BRICS countries agreed to push for the expansion of the group. It's called a BRICS plus process. This year, for example, we saw outreaches because these were all part of the meetings. Argentina, Egypt, Indonesia, Kazakhstan, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Nigeria, Senegal, and Thailand. These were all part of those development meetings. And it's very interesting if you look at each of those economies and each of those countries, they are similarly like BRICS, 
tempting to remain a little bit independent, particularly when it comes to this West versus Russia, West versus China sort of uh, balance. Now, as we said, Prime Minister Modi spoke about BRICS initiatives being very practical. So what are those practical BRICS initiatives? Some of them have been incubated over several years, but let's get you a list of the main BRICS initiatives that work today. The biggest, of course, that most would talk about are is the New Development Bank, or what is sometimes called the BRICS Bank. This began with a starting capital about eight years ago. The starting capital was $50 billion, $10 billion for each of the members. It has so far approved 70 infrastructure and sustainable development projects worth about 25.07 US dollars, billion US dollars. And that includes about 18 projects that have been sanctioned in India, $6.9 billion worth of loans to India. So you can see how practically useful the NDB, as it is called, is. Second is a contingent reserve arrangement. This is to help members whose currencies are being buffeted by global economic trends. So you're seeing the CRA or the contingent reserve arrangement being used for currencies. And then President Putin at this summit spoke about a new reserve currency being used, which would be based not on the US dollars, but on a basket of commodities. So really being uh, developed as a counter to the dollar-based system, if you like. We'll see how far that goes, but that's certainly one of the announcements during this particular summit. Another alternative financial mechanism is something called the BRICS payment system. This is an alternative to the SWIFT payment system. And of course, the SWIFT payment system has been a lot in the news this year. And this initiative has taken on a new urgency as post the Ukraine war, Russia has really been frozen out of SWIFT. So this is one more mechanism to circumvent those sanctions put on by the West. Then there is a customs agreement, which is in place to coordinate and ease trade transport between these BRICS countries, far and disparate as they are. Then, interestingly, a research and development center on COVID vaccine research set up in South Africa in February this year. And it is going to look at all the vaccines. And remember, each of the BRICS countries are manufacturers of COVID vaccines. The sixth is a remote uh, sensing constellation of satellites that has already been launched. It includes from a pool of six satellites, including two from India, two from China, one from Russia, and one which is a Brazil-China collaboration. Finally, we've got something called the Digital BRICS Task Force, DBTF, which plans to hold the Digital BRICS Forum in 2022, looking at many of the issues that the Quad, in its, uh, remember, in its silo on uh, digital technology, also talks about. And in fact, these last three initiatives that I spoke about, the satellite constellation, the cooperation on COVID, as well as uh, this digital technology cooperation, these also mirror quad initiatives that we've spoken about in a, a previous edition of Worldview. So very interesting that India is part of both the quad and the BRICS. And there are all these similar initiatives being taken in both these very, very disparate groups. Now, of course, all is not hunky-dory within BRICS, and uh, we have over the years uh, seen many question the validity, the viability of BRICS, and even mocked the arrangement really for being an unworkable idea in the long term. Critics point to a number of basic contradictions within the grouping, and let's just take a look at some of those, because there have been a lot of jokes about the BRICS being the chink in the armor and uh, a brick falling out of the wall, if you like. The first contradiction really is that BRICS countries never kept the promise of being these developing economies 
that would actually emerge as a counter to the most developed countries. We still only make up a quarter of the global GDP, only 16% of global trade. Russia, Brazil, South African economies have frequently been on the verge of collapse in the past few years. The Indian economy has been disappointing, particularly in the past decade as well. GDP growth, remember, has lost its momentum. Economic reforms haven't kept up with the global expectations that we had heard in the year 2001. China, which has been in touching distance of the United States in terms of its economy, has also been dealt a big blow by COVID and the lockdowns that have followed. In fact, the biggest blow perhaps to BRICS's credibility came in 2015 when Goldman Sachs wound up its BRICS fund. It had reportedly actually lost 88% of its asset values since 2010. In fact, it then took this BRIC fund and merged it with a larger emerging markets fund because it said this is really not working as we had expected. The second big contradiction is that BRICS members don't discuss bilateral issues, but issues like the India-China border dispute. PLA transgressions over the LAC are bound to have an impact on BRICS solidarity in the long run. In other words, if members are fighting with each other, it is going to make it difficult for that grouping to move forward. India and even Russia are actually not a part of China's big infrastructure push, the Belt and Road Initiative, the BRI. Brazil and South Africa are. So the BRI and BRICS are not actually together. And uh, that is another contradiction within the grouping. The fourth that the BRICS document emphasizing national positions on Ukraine, this is what we saw this time, indicates that there are differences between the members over Russia's actions. And this could once again prove problematic in the years ahead for the grouping if the war in Ukraine particularly continues. And then while Russia and China have come much closer, especially with the announcement of their No Limits partnership, India, Brazil and South Africa have all made outreaches to the US and Europe in equal, if not in greater measure. So really, where is the BRICS going to go in the future is always a question given all these internal contradictions. The truth is that the BRICS remains a miracle precisely because it survives the many contradictions in a grouping where the five members have little in common geographically, even culturally. While it is unlikely that the BRICS will upend the global economy, as had been predicted at this point, it does always provide a counter-narrative to the West-dominated economic systems. The BRICS also calls into question the G7 membership that continues to cut BRICS countries out is the G7 really representative of the world's most developed economies? And this is two decades after the idea of BRICS really came into being. Now, we have quite a lot of reading recommendations for you, so I'm going to get right to it. And it's worth really beginning at the beginning with that first Goldman Sachs study I told you about by Jim O'Neill in 2001 called Building Better Global Economic Brick, uh, which was a plural bricks in those days and then finally became the big bricks. And that's available online. In 2003, in fact, it was updated. Goldman Sachs came out with another paper called Dreaming with BRICS Path to 2050. So they were looking ahead to where BRICS could go by 2050. And this is also available online. Of course, we also do have a paper by Jim O'Neill himself in 2021. He was asked to write a piece about 20 years of BRICS, and it's called BRICS at 20. This is also available for you online. Finally, there is a book by O'Neill himself from 2011. It's called The Growth Map, Economic Opportunity in the BRICS and Beyond. It certainly makes for a very interesting and comprehensive reading of the idea 
that led to these five countries really thinking about coming together. There's a more recent book on the BRICS and how it works. It's called Russia, BRICS and the Disruption of Global Order, Rachel Salzman. It's a very readable book. It looks much more closely, of course, at how Russia broke away from the West economically and then how it grew within the BRICS order. Then there's a very easy read, quite literally. It's the Oxford series of very short introductions. And it's called The Bricks, a very short introduction by Andrew Cooper. This includes maps and illustrations, and it definitely helps put bricks on the map. There's an edited work of essays, South African authors David Monnier and Basso Nzenze. He, they edited what is called the BRICS order, assertive or complementing the West. So these questions about the BRICS continues. Uh, that was a set of essays that came out very recently, actually, earlier this year in February, I think. JNU professor Srikant Kondapalli, who's of course known as a great expert on China, India-China relations, has also edited a superb book called China and the Bricks, Setting Up a Different Kitchen. So it has some very interesting ideas in it. And there's an author that I've spoken of in the past who has written The Post-Western World. He's a Brazilian academic. He's an expert on international relations called Oliver Sprinkle. And his 2016 book, The Bricks and the Future of the Global Order, is also very worth reading. So we hope you enjoy all of this reading and join us again here on Worldview from the team. Thanks for watching.